Happy National Snack Food Month, everyone. This is Betsy, and here are the sweet and salty offerings you can listen to in the Popping Collars feed in February 2022. Are you a new Coke person or a Coke classic? How about original West Side Story or Steven Spielberg version? That's our topic this month on Popping Collars as we discuss our favorite reboots and remakes. On the canon, a brand new group of panelists twist themselves into pretzels, drafting the essential movies of Jodie Foster. Greg and I are going nuts trying to figure out how in the world the Academy nominated Disney's Beauty and the Beast for Best Picture. Why? Why? Will our first animated movie on Going on 30 be our last? Finally, Dan Jocelyn Simitowski brings some peanuts and Cracker Jacks to the Sacred Six as he and Greg try to figure out what in the world Hank Aaron's record-breaking 715th home run has to do with the Sacrament of Communion. Thanks for listening to the podcast that melts in your ears, not in your hands, and keep those collars popped. Hi, this is Donna Jones. I'm with my husband, Brent Jones. We're filmmakers. We made the movie Bobby Joe Under the Influence, and you are listening to Popping Collars. Ready? Yeah. <clears throat> I hate doing this. It's so good. You're gonna kill it. It's gonna be awesome. I really gonna, not every time you say that, Liz, I just leave it in the podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you're gonna screw it up. He's gonna leave it in. <laughs> Did right. you get a haircut, Liz? No, in fact, I haven't gotten it cut in a long time. Look, you're touching it a lot. I know because I think it's crazy right now. There's a lot of dry shampoo in there. Got it. I don't like looking at myself on Zoom all the time. That's why I turn myself you off. I can't do that because I don't know how. And I do also like to look at myself all the time. It's a real complicated thing. That's real tough. I understand. Okay. Welcome to Popping Collars, the podcast that lives at the intersection of religion and pop culture. I'm Liz Easton. I am the canon to the ordinary in the Diocese of Nebraska. And with me are my co-hosts. Let's start with you, Betsy Carmody. What's up? Not much, Liz. I am here in chilly northern Virginia at the Episcopal High School, where I serve as head chaplain. And we're kind of winding down the semester. It was kind of what I call a soft open coming back from break uh, between a little Omicron action and a snowstorm that came through and really dumped a lot of heavy, wet snow, stranded a bunch of people on the highway. No one. Thankfully, on their way to school because we told them to stay home. But yeah, that's what we're up to. Awesome. Thank you. How about you, Greg Knight? What's going on? What is going on? Hi, Liz. Greg Knight. I am the Associate for Christian Formation at the Church of Bethesda by the Sea in Palm Beach, Florida, where I think our last snow was in 1977. Really? Yeah. No, well, snow in South Florida is a little bit different. It just kind of, it's like slush that kind of sticks to your windshield for two seconds. But um, yeah, it snowed down here like 50 years ago. So who knows? Maybe it's time for that to come around again. Probably not. It's like 80 degrees outside. So we're loving it down here. Just got done watching another episode of Station 11. Highly recommend. Good Mm -hmm. show. If you can stomach... A post-apocalyptic show with a virus. It's really good. 
There we Great go. Great show. Truly excellent book. The yeah, two I love the book. are different enough that you can read why it doesn't matter. They don't compete with each other. They're just different, beautiful. Well, different. but here's a question. I think they teach this question mm-hmm. in our apocalyptical fiction class or lit class. I couldn't watch the show and replace the reading of the book. Is this what you're saying? How do you mean? I couldn't fake it like I've read it. If no, I that's right. See, that's okay. Right. Oh, I'm, just, I'm saying that for all the students out there. If you're, oh, you're, you're talking the old, 11, like, you yeah, yeah, yeah. read it. Don't yeah, I saw I saw Mel Gibson's Hamlet, and now I can do a book report on it. That kind right, of right, right, exactly. Know. That will not work with this particular story at all. Hamlet, no. Hamlet, that anti-Semite. That's right. Even though I really want to watch Denzel Washington and that Macbeth Ooh. thing. Anyway, that's an aside. Me too. Right. Um, and last but not least, we've got Ricardo Avila, my book club friend. What's up, Ricardo? Liz, hi. Uh, yes, my name is Ricardo Avila. You got it right. I am the rector at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Los Gatos, California, where I cannot complain about the weather these days. It actually has dropped down to 33, uh, which is uh, pretty cold for us. But uh, I will say uh, we purchased a condo last year in San Mateo, and we are realizing that when it's cold outside, it's colder in the condo. Oh, (laughs) So um, that's interesting uh, because... I've never really had to use heaters much in California until this year. And so we bundle up, we get quadruple blankets and uh, it's, it was a, it was a cozy holiday season. Let's put it that way. Great. Thank you. Well, our topic of conversation for this podcast is one that uh, may have been on your minds recently too. You might be looking around in the pop culture sphere right now and thinking, gee, things seem a little bit familiar. Today, we're talking about reboots. What's the other word for reboot? Like Remakes. Remakes. Mm -hmm. And maybe even uh, prequels and sequels, which are kind of in that same genre, which seems to be happening a lot in um, film and in television and in musical theater and in all kinds of ways. Remakes and reboots are not new ever since the advent of film. Uh, things, great stories have been told and retold again. Certain franchises have kept going over the course of generations and the same stories have come back again and again. It does seem right now, though, like it's happening quite a bit. And there's a question, I think, about whether there's a massive cultural nostalgia factor that feels um, like an important itch to scratch, whether um, the downturn in our economy is making production companies make different decisions about the types of stories that they tell, or my personal pet theory that in the fall of an empire, it is impossible to create new culture. So all of those things are (laughs) topics. Damn, Liz, damn. Ouch. (laughs) Our tomorrows are never guaranteed. That is right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Popping collars becomes popping dreams. (laughs) You always want to keep your eye on late stage capitalism. Um, And from a spirituality standpoint, of course, and we're a spirituality podcast, popular culture is about meaning making. So what does it mean when you're making meaning in the same ways over the course of years. So to that, I will turn to the magic bag bag. to start our conversation. Uh, The bag chooses uh, B for Bitsy. All right. So listeners, listener, you know, 
that uh, that I'm not a rewatcher. Typically, I don't kind of seek things out. You know, sometimes the retelling of a narrative is something I am interested in, but but that is rare. Like I, you know, I liked the original Gossip Girl. Have I gone to go seek out the HBO Max Gossip Girl? No, I have not. So, I mean, maybe that's I'm just fine with with my cast, and I like that. But so, as I was thinking about things that have been remade, that I, and this is actually one that I would say the remake is better than the original. I have chosen the series Queer Eye as Ooh, yes. remake. So if fresh on my mind, because they just came out with a new season, there was a moment on New Year's Eve when I'm sitting there with my sister and brother-in-law and my daughter, and we're like trying, I'm like, where's the ball drops? Like, where's the, where's the Dick Clark? Where's the, where's Pitbull? Like, what, give me a, give me a, give me a something. It's just drunk Andy Cohen and something else. And then we were oh. like, isn't? isn't there a new series of queer eye out? And so popped it on. We watched like two episodes, had to remind ourselves to go back for the ball drop. So I, I remember the first show, the first iteration, which, which we all know was called queer eye for the straight guy, early two thousands on Bravo, right. Was for many Americans, their first exposure knowingly to gay people in their homes on their TVs. And it was, it was revolutionary, uh, but a d- different approach than we have with the new series. As my sweet sister said, she said the first series was like it was all these guys kind of frumpy or stuck straight men or whatever in need of a new wardrobe and a spray tan. And then we're off. You know, we got some new furniture and we're off to the races. And, and isn't the family impressed? There is something about and maybe it's speaking to where we have been as a country since the reboot of this show on Netflix, that the amount of pastoral care on display in this show is amazing. What really has come out is this is a show like my, my daughter was like, how do I tell my friend what Queer Eye is about? And we said, it's, it's, it's a makeover show, but it's actually a show that gets to what the real issue or struggle is for somebody. Often, if your life is a mess and you're a mess, it's it's not just because, you know, you're like, man, I'm just going to be a mess. There's other things going on for you. There's a there's a hurt. There's a wound. There's something unfinished. There's you're stuck. And so this is about getting unstuck. So that is my choice. Oh, that's such a good choice. I didn't even think of Queer Eye as a reboot, but it absolutely is. And the thing I love, love, love about this show, I don't remember it with the first one. And I was younger than I probably wasn't paying attention is the way that these guys talk to straight men about their beauty. It's a really beautiful Mm -hmm. expression of masculinity. Mm -hmm. Good point. I've only been able to watch the first season of the new Queer Eye, and I never really watched the old one. And the reason I have trouble watching any more of it is it gets too emotional for me. Mm. Uh, And I'm not usually, you know, I usually run into the fire of emotion myself. It's just almost too beautiful. I mean, I'm like, I could choke up thinking about it. That, oh, <laughs> Look at what they're doing to us. They're not even here. We're not- I know. <clears throat> I think it's partly because I'm gay. You know, I to see these gay men, not only do they not really ever apologize for who they are, they go to these small towns where you're like, oh my God, are they going to be killed? And they're just celebrating themselves. And by doing that, it it sort of brings out, as you were saying, Liz, 
other people's self-celebration. You know, it it brings out their own fabulousness. And I just think, you know, if we could just do that more, what a world. And I I don't know, I I just find it um, astonishingly moving. Uh, I think because there is a little part of me that feels like I'll still walk into a room someday and be told you don't belong here Mm -hmm. uh, for being gay. Ugh, I feel like a, a hot little mess right now. No, but, but uh, it makes me think about you in Wisconsin, Ricardo, as a young gay kid and and them being in a town like that and being in your town and like yeah, yeah, what that would look like now versus when when you were a young gay man living there and a young person. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. How much it's ch- oh <laughs> How much it changed? Oh. <laughs> sprung back into adolescence by that's that right. That's right. It's like Peter Brady suddenly. <laughs> is what I guess. I know. I don't know. I just. I think. And these guys are smart, or whoever mm-hmm. whoever does this show, they are smart. They are emotionally intelligent. Yes. They 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 know they know what's needed in any situation, and it doesn't always fly. Sometimes it's a little awkward or whatever. You know, it's like you were saying, Liz, some people just need to be told they're beautiful and be shown their potential. And then it doesn't matter who showed them. The, the, the first episode, the, the one guy was like, you can't fix ugly. For the first couple of days, you kept saying you can't fix ugly. Mm-hmm. And it broke you my heart. You all have fixed ugly. <laughs> we have fallen in love with you. And I, I didn't really expect to have this moment with you. And you were such an amazing man. You're making me cry. No, it's okay. Oh, Tom. Oh, Tom, you're such a good man. And at the end, he's just bawling. He's hugging them. He said, I'll never forget you. <laughs> I'll never forget you. You changed my life. He winds up marrying the, the girl, the woman that he, you know, they had dated and they broke up, but then he asks her out on the show. Well, they wound up getting married uh, the next year. And, you know, that's what the world needs. Yeah. We need more of that connection. Right. And we are not headed that way. It is whatever you call it, late stage capitalism. We are not connecting. And so this show is just this almost too beautiful to watch kind of anomaly. And there are never enough. There are never enough episodes in a season. It's like, and now I feel like I've watched, a, I've watched maybe four of them, five of them. And I'm like, I haven't even looked at how many there are. I just know that there's at least one or two left. And I'm just kind of holding <laughs> them out like it feels like there is no shortage of industries these days that are built around sort of dividing people like segmenting people into groups because i think that it i think that it's a profitable venture for those particular industries to do that and um and so it feels rare to find those institutions who are actively, their job is to bring people together. I mean, at our best, that's what the church is, right? So that seems lovely. That seems like a nice little parallel where the sh- the show's mission and our vocation are kind of sort of aligned, which is nice to think about. I sort of feel like when we graduated from seminary, you know, we had all these catchphrases. What, what was the one that was like? Uh, oh, we were the, the change the agents. We were the, change the change agents. agents. <laughs> yes. And so uh, there's that sense of like, we're going to go into these churches and do makeovers <laughs> of these, you know, retired, older, and we're going to liven them up and bring in young people, all this stuff. And you kind of come up with the reality of it. And it's like, well, these people sort of have their lives too. And um, you can't just show up like the Queer Eye guys do and, you know, fabulous all over them. 
and assume that they're going to be what you want. But you can sort of help them realize what their potential is when maybe the leadership that they've had hasn't hasn't sparked that for them. Right. Thanks. Nice. Thanks. Got it. Good choice. Who's next from the bag? Clicky, 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 clicky. Not me. It's a G for one Gregory. Gregory Knight. (laughs) Okay. Um, Real quick. I'm getting old. You know, uh, a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, I'm going to call you out, Liz. Liz famously doesn't prepare for our podcast, but that's fine because Liz, Liz is very bright very sharp, very quick-witted. This is so affirming. Yeah. I love it. Thank you. This is like Queer Eye. This it's is like, like Queer Eye. And I I have quickly learned that I am not those things. So <laughs> I had to actually write down the okay. things that I needed to say because I knew that I would forget them. My first sort of statement to make about reboots is that I need to reboot some of the picks that I made over recent episodes. Um, Beginning with our best of 2021, somehow I forgot that Summer of Soul came out that year. It's a great movie. I should have talked about that. Go watch Summer of Soul. It's on Hulu. It's fabulous. Um, Also, when I talked about music videos last month and was talking about singing to the camera, Somehow just blanked on D'Angelo's untitled video where he's just singing straight to the camera without clothes. Mm -hmm. Fabulous. Great video sort of pairs along with the Sinead O'Connor and um, Alanis Morissette videos. So there you go. My reboot picks from the last couple of episodes. Now, let me get to my pick for this episode. There was a movie that came out recently called Matrix Resurrections. It's not my pick, but let me just say something that the Matrix Resurrections movie did. And this is a sequel to the Matrix movies that came out, you know, in the, what was it, 1999, early 2000s. But it's also a retelling of those Matrix stories. And the reason that this movie was even made is because um, Warner Brothers, for years and years and years, Uh, kept asking the Wachowskis if they would make another Matrix sequel because, as Liz rightly points out at the top of this um, podcast, uh, they want to make more money, and the Matrix still has more uh, money gas in the tank, I guess. Um, And the Wachowskis declined and declined and declined. And then finally, Warner Brothers put out a statement saying, yeah, we think that we can make a Matrix movie without the Wachowskis. And that's when Lana Wachowski came back and said, yeah, no, no, you're not going to make a Matrix movie without us. And she made the recent movie. Now, here's the thing. Spoiler ish. So if you don't want to know about Matrix Resurrections, like hit the fast forward button a few times. But. This is an intentionally anti-Matrix movie that was released. It's about sort of the corporate greed of Warner Brothers trying to go back to this Matrix well. It works at correcting the bro discourse around red pilling and blue pilling and what the Wachowskis actually mean by those concepts, not what they've been co-opted as in popular culture. It's it's a movie that was made in order to prevent the studio from 
getting away from the vision of the directors of this film, the writers and directors of this film. And I think that that's a, a bold choice to make. So that actually does bring me to my pick, which is Gremlins 2. <laughs> that was a long way wow. around the horn, Greg. Thanks. I, you've got to make this connection. This is why I wrote my notes. That's why I have notes. Okay, so I am still not following the train of thought here. I'm just going to be Thank honest you. with our listener. But that was a great reflection on the new Matrix movie. I know. Well, it's allowing him to also pick like six things. Are you Ricardo or something? Well, like, what's going on? What are you doing? Yeah. Come on. Thank you. Gremlins 2. Let's do a little bit of backstory for Gremlins 2. Uh, Gremlins came out in mid-80s, made a ton of money, it was directed by uh, Joe Dante. The studio wanted to make a sequel to Gremlins. And what came out of that experience was Joe Dante attempting to critique and, and satire the movie that was taken away from him originally. It's a reboot of his original vision for Gremlins. And what he ended up doing was making a sort of Looney Tunes-esque movie that was a critique of Trump-style New York greed in the late 80s. There's a character in this film named Daniel Clamp, who is a media tycoon. He's sort of a cross between Donald Trump and Ted Turner. It's a critique of consumer culture uh, because all throughout the movie, the movie itself is marketing Gremlins action figures to you. It's a critique of all consuming media, how the media sort of controls the narrative of our lives and um, how we can't seem to figure out a way to divorce ourselves from it, whether it be social media or television or movies or something like that. An entire race of strange little beings has invaded the class central building. And in an even more bizarre twist, one of the creatures... Creatures. Is that accurate? Mm-hmm. That one of these creatures is somehow able to talk, and he's going to talk with us right now. I think the main question that people have is, the creature, what is it that you want? Fred, what we want is, I think, what everyone wants and what you and your viewers have, civilization. Yes, but uh, what sort of civilization are you speaking of, creature? The niceties, Fred, the fine points. Diplomacy, compassion, standards, manners, tradition. That's what we're reaching toward. Oh, we may stumble along the way, but civilization, yes. The Geneva Convention, chamber music, Susan Sontag. Everything your society has worked so hard to accomplish over the centuries, that's what we aspire to. We want to be civilized. I mean, you take a look at this trail here. Now, was that civilized? No, clearly not. Fun, but in no sense civilized. Now, bear in mind, none of us has been in New York before. There are the Broadway shows. We'll have to find out how to get tickets. There's also a lot of street crime, but I believe we can watch that for free. We want the essentials. Dinettes, complete bedroom groups, convenient credit, even if we've been turned down in the past. And finally, it's just a critique of remakes and sequels in general. It's an intentionally bad movie that was made on purpose as a bad movie 
to reflect the fact that studios do this all the time as a way of making money. It's just a straight up cash grab. And I thought it was a really bold decision, just like the Wachowskis made a bold decision to say, you know what? Yes. At the end of the day, what we do in the film industry is designed to make money. It's a it's a money making industry. But at some point, there comes a time where the opportunity to make money at the cost of creative expression and freedom isn't worth it. So that's my choice. Gremlins 2. So. That was like a very well-argued term paper. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I feel like I learned a lot. I, yeah, <laughs> I A minus. <laughs> you made your argument really well. I have a question that you may or may not know off the top of your head. How did Gremlins 2 do at the box office? Terrible. Okay, good. It had okay. a budget of about $50 million, I think, and it pulled in about $40 million. So that was that was really his, he succeeded. In he succeeded, his- yeah. He, he wow. successfully killed off the franchise, except now there's a Gremlins 3. In oh. oh. Sure, artistic vision, it belongs to the artist and all that, but is there no responsibility to the to the, I don't know, to give it your best? I guess it depends on what you're selling, right? So, okay. Another peek behind the curtain. When we entered this podcast space, we entered into a space where like, and I'm okay. I am not disparaging any work that anyone has ever done in the Episcopal church. If you have something that you think works for the church, absolutely do it. Put it out there, make your voice heard hundred percent. I love you guys. You guys are doing wonderful work. However, there is a machine of marketing that's associated with, uh, creativity and creating things. And it happens even in our church. And there are people who will peddle their wares uh, no matter what, just to get their stuff in front of your face. And it can be a little off-putting sometimes. And I guess what I would say is that if, 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 if something works, if a gift that you're offering to the church is a vital gift for ministry, I am all for that. Bringing people to the love of God is what we're all about. But if your thing is about selling something to people, I think you need to reevaluate what it is that you're doing. And that's what I think that these movies touch on really well, is that it's not about selling you stuff. And that's what Gremlins 2 is trying to sort of say explicitly, I think. It's just every time you say Gremlins 2. (laughs) Gremlins 2. Well, great. When you put it that way, it makes sense. Uh, The Episcopal thing I can definitely see. And and I, I certainly, uh, I love the idea of raising the middle finger to that, what I call, what I would call phoniness uh, and surface piety. I think a lot of these things are well-intentioned. I mean, I think, a, I think most things that are sort of, you know, in the, you know, whatever, church publishing magazine or whatever, I think they're all well-intentioned. I think they're good resources that are meant to sort of say, hey, this worked in our context. Maybe it'll work in yours. Here, why don't you try it? However, there's another side of this, which is there's a machine of like, let's sell books, let's sell curricula, let's sell whatever. And it's important, I think, to be mindful of that in addition to wanting to spread the gospel. Right. Okay. And I would say, too, about that, it, in a moment when the church is especially vulnerable and the institution of the church is crumbling, those um, offerings will come to the surface even more. And I think that that's true sort of across institutions that 
you know, none of us in the church, none of us knows what the future holds. We simply don't know. So of course there is a, now a marketplace created for people to step in and say, well, I do. Mm-hmm. And if you follow this curriculum, if you buy this book, if you attend this series, if you get this certificate and some of those things can be, as you said, really well-intentioned tools. And some of it is exploitation of anxiety. There is no magic bullet. Right. And people make a lot of money. Let me tell yeah. you, people make a <laughs> lot of money telling you um, what that magic bullet is. Reboot your spiritual life by joining the Episcopalians. <laughs> Don't pull that chip out just yet, Greg. I'm sorry. I got more. Uh-oh. First of all, Liz, that was so eloquent. What you just said a little while ago, it was like beautiful. It was kind of perfect. Thank you. Um, is well this said, the Liz well is good at everything podcast? Is that what right. this is going to be now called <laughs> today? He's nope. a genius today. He's going to be on my earrings, yep. and now it's. Just- <laughs> I know. Well, I know. No, it's be- I felt pretty stumbly in what I was trying to say, and you said even better, and actually even kind of more kindly, uh, what I couldn't quite say about all of this kind of religious stuff and people putting themselves out there. And Greg, I retract my, any sort of disagreement I had with whatever you were saying. I think I just wanted resurrections to be good because I think it opened up a world of such possibility philosophically uh, that has yet to be matched. And I think that's my disappointment. I'm probably a little harsher on some of these folks who peddle their religious stuff, however well-intentioned, I'm kind of a jerk about that stuff. I, I just am. I'm not, I'm not kind. I don't know why I, maybe I have envy, uh, because sometimes they're successful Mm -hmm. and I have envy, but I think also, I just, I feel like there's no time for inauthenticity and something that strikes me anyway, as inauthentic is really, uh, almost harmful. It's between you you and me now, Betsy. No, me. No, oh, I've already. Oh, I'm sorry. You went first. It's between you. Uh, you don't remember all the beautiful things that I said earlier in the podcast, Liz. You're just blinded by your own brilliance. I say, Liz. I just want to say, even in making that mistake, you just have really you pulled that back. You really made it a learning moment for all of us, and I appreciate I you I'm being vulnerable. Graceful. I am. I'm out. So graceful. Words of affirmation is my primary love language. So this is really nice for me. Thank you. It's Ricardo. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad I'm not last. I, you know, my, my pick was very, very straightforward and very simple and probably not a lot to discuss. Um, although it was interesting. Um, I, I chose West Side Story. Yes. And I actually called dibs on it when the topic was first brought up amongst yes. us. And so, uh, lo and behold, I had to go watch the movie. Uh, was that just last night? <laughs> I think I saw, no, two nights. I saw it two nights ago. I haven't been in a movie theater since 2019, and I never really went to movie theaters much anyway. You know, they've got like the loungy chairs with leather yeah. and lamps, and yeah. you can order food. Yeah, did you get the kind where you can like order a cocktail? Like they bring you like a glass of wine or something? Yeah, yeah, all of it, all of it. I mean, I wasn't hungry and I didn't eat anything, but you know, There's I don't like to be interrupted. I love more than drinking a glass of wine in a movie theater. 
<laughs> I love it. It just feels like the future is here and it's mine. I love yeah. it. I miss it. I could totally see that. So West Side Story. Um, have you all seen West Side Story? The, the remake. Original. Right. The original. I have not the seen the remake. I have only seen the original. Same. Right. I, and I met the original. And I've seen yeah. the original many times. I have seen oh. both. I love it. You have. Okay, good, good. Then we can dialogue. But so, you know, West Side Story. I'm not going to talk about all the flack just yet that apparently it's getting in the press and in the everybody. I'll just talk about the movies themselves. I loved the original West Side Story. I'd probably put it in my top 20, if not top 10 favorite movies of all time. Uh, and I've probably seen it five times. And there is nothing like watching the 1961 West Side Story on the big screen. So if you ever get a chance to do it, the beginning scene where they're all kind of lined up snapping their fingers. And I mean, on a widescreen and panoramic, it's astonishing. You know, I heard good things about this and I went to see it and um, didn't read much about it. And it was good. I still prefer the 1961 movie, I think, because it's nostalgic and there's something so earnest about it and timeless almost, I want to say. Maybe that's the nature of reboots. You you can't actually recapture the original thing that has its own built-in nostalgia. I don't know. That might be too blanket a statement. But I actually really liked it. The best thing to me about it were the uh, the actress that played Anita, whose name is Ariana Ariana, Ariana DeBose. She was phenomenal. I can't even explain it. Every time she was on this, this doesn't happen to me that often. Every time she was on the screen, she was riveting. I just could not get enough of her. She was, oh, she, I, you know what I mean? She was mm -hmm. just wonderful. I don't even, it, it, it was visceral. I just smiled and sat up. And um, I also really liked the guy that played Bernardo. His name is David Alvarez. Whew. First of all. Secondly, I just think the character was just, just more fleshed out. You know, and yeah, more fleshed out. Uh, and them together was just super sexy and wonderful. Uh, and I also liked Maria, Rachel Zegler. She was sweet and lovely. She had these kind of twinkling eyes that you kind of believe the innocence and the and the sweetness really easily in a way that Natalie Wood, I think, kind of didn't capture. Ansel Elgort as Tony. <laughs> the guy didn't stand a chance. I mean, he was just a lunkhead. And everyone, all the, the three actors I've just mentioned, they just, they had sparkles in their eyes. They were just dancing and singing and moving. And you just like, oh my God. I mean, it really, it makes you sit up. And then Tony shows up. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like a different movie. Oh God. He can sing though, right? He, he, he can sing. Yeah. He had yeah, a nice I voice. To the soundtrack and was pretty impressed because that's a really hard part to sing. Yeah. 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 He, he did sing well, but he has dead eyes. Like there's something about his eyes. Like they didn't sparkle. He wasn't bad. And in fact, at the very near the very end, just spoiler alerts, if you haven't seen it between the time he's told that Maria is dead and the time, sorry, everybody fast forward and the time he gets killed. I think it's, it's okay like, to have, just real quick. I think it's okay to spoil West Side Story slash Romeo and Juliet. Exactly. <laughs> he dies. All right, fair enough. He fair does enough. die. Yeah. Fair enough. He does die. So in the five minutes between him finding out Maria is thinks he's, you know, he thinks she's dead and him getting killed, he was great. Mm -hmm. He just like woke up 
that's I wish he'd been that way the whole movie. And that's how everybody else was. So that's a lot about the acting. There were things that I that I the, the two things I liked better about the, the remake were their version of America. You know, the first America was great. They were up on a rooftop and they were dancing and it was the it was the the sharks, the Puerto Rican men and women dancing on the rooftop, etc. Here they're like in the streets, they're running by flower stands, they're jumping out of building, not, not building, but you know, out of doors, and it's just like it's busting out. And it was fantastic. I mean, the neighborhood comes around, little kids come in and start dancing near the end of it, and it just feels like a celebration of the culture, which brings me to, I think, the main point I want to make. When I saw the 61 version, I remember thinking, you know, you don't really get a sense of the sharks, the Puerto Rican group. There's a lot more time spent on the jets, the white kids, and you didn't know the names of any of the Puerto Ricans except for Bernardo. Well, that's still true here, but you get a lot more of the sharks, a feel of the community. I feel like they're focused on a lot more, and I'm guessing that was deliberate probably because of criticism that they were cardboard cutouts in the original. I really, you know, there's a point when Bernardo, spoiler alert, gets killed at the end. And there's a scene where there's a little statue of the Virgin Mary. It's, you know, the camera's just in on the statue. And you see a hand put a little candle in front of it. And then it zooms out and it's for the sharks, the gang member guys. And they're praying, you know, for, for Bernardo because he's being killed. And I thought that's a totally cultural moment right there that, you would not have seen in the earlier version. So I really liked that. On the other hand, I think the Jets were sort of given short shrift. I can't really think of many of them at all. So it it, it, it does a switch on that. So I definitely noticed the lyric change to America, but you are 100% right. That, that number is amazing. Like that's the stand up in the theater moment. And what's hilarious is that it, as soon as America is over, it cuts to a close up of Ansel Elgore's face. And you're just like, oh, God, yes. this guy <laughs> makes you want to go back to San Juan. <laughs> I would also add um, somewhere by Rita Moreno was good. I haven't seen the film, but recently on a road trip, um, across Nebraska, I decided to just listen to the whole soundtrack from start to finish, which is great. That's, I should do that more because it's sort of like watching a movie only you can keep your eyes on the road. Um, And I was really (laughs) surprised when I got to somewhere because I was kind of looking forward to um, what I thought it would be. And, but then um, to hear her, I mean, she really brought it. It was beautiful. I liked what she did with somewhere. I I have to confess, I, I was looking, I was sort of looking forward to it being like it was in the original, more about all of them not belonging anywhere. Well, it's just yeah. interesting to bring up a, a movie about divisiveness, right? So if I think about the original and you think about the original, original, <laughs> the OG original <laughs> with uh, Mr. Shakespeare and, and such, it's, is this, is this statement about the foolishness of divisiveness, the foolishness mm-hmm. of what stands between us and aren't we all the same and don't we all deserve love and isn't that what we're all seeking and it kind of makes me a little it makes me a little sad because we've seen now in our divisiveness that a lesson like that that's tugging at the heartstrings doesn't work and it's and it's 
it would probably then be mixed around and stirred around and lied about and fake news and whatever. And it's just like, it's, and, and it, it speaks to me about my thinking about myself as a younger person, as a girl watching West Side Story and be like, yeah, love can conquer all. And, you know, if only these adults just get their act together and just figure it out, you know, the young people have it together. And then watching like, if we look, think about Romeo and Juliet remakes, you know, like Baz Luhrmann's Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio, Claire Tates. And like, it was just the, I was like, this is it. <laughs> like this, <laughs> come on. Like, Same. can't you get it together? Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, I did win an acting award in middle school playing Lord Capulet. I'm just putting wow. that out there. But anyway, uh, but it is this, it makes me feel a little sad that I don't feel like, we're in a place where stories about humanity, you know, and love can breach divides. Okay. Enough. I'm going to see it. Thank you. Liz, you're our last. Wow. Wow. Token. I'm sure you're going to have something wonderful for us. Well, you've been so amazing all evening. God. I love this. Um, well, speaking of potentially unnecessary reboots, I'm talking about just like that. The Sex and the City oh, reboot on HBO. Has anybody watched it yet? I have not no. watched it yet, but I have heard everybody talk about it. And I'm kind of a Sex and the City stan. I did enjoy yeah. the original. And it is it is for my rewatching one of the few things I'm like, oh, look, here's a little episode. Even like the crappy ones edited for like, TBS or whatever. Yeah. That's like, I'll watch it. But yeah, well, no. I'm going to spoil some things. No, oh, I know the spoiler. Okay, okay. I know. Yeah, no, don't worry, don't worry about me. <laughs> okay, I figured it's it's out there. It's out um, there. So uh, I don't have anything like philosophical or theological to say about this, but this show coming back sort of unnecessarily was and the um, inspiration between me pitching for me pitching this idea for the podcast. So in order to tell my story with the Sex and the City reboot, we'll have to tell my story with Sex and the City, which I think every woman about my age and certainly older than me has this. Let me just say every white woman. Uh, probably has some sort of affiliation with this series. So for me, Sex and the City came out at a time that was not great for my age. It wasn't perfect. I think it was a show for women in their 20s and 30s, mainly. It was for me. It was for me. Okay. So the I remember the first episode I watched of Sex and the City and my friend, Sarah McCluskey in high school, I was in high school that I was maybe a junior or senior. She had HBO. So like one night and she was like way cooler than me. Um, and there was like one night where she was like, let's all get a bunch of girls together and watch sex in the city, which I had of course never seen before. We did not have HBO. And I remember being like kind of scared. Like I was not ready for that show. <laughs> and I just, I have this distinct memory of sitting in her family room and like knowing her parents were around somewhere and like who on earth let us watch this like pornographic show um it was a little uncomfortable for me fast forward just a couple of years to college and it, it was sort of a different story like everyone um the show is way far into the show and in fact might have been over when did sex in the city end does anyone know 2006 okay I don't know. 
I, I'm just guessing. <laughs> you're like, no, oh, no, you're off by two. Started in 1998, done in 2004. Okay. So I started high school in 1998. That was my freshman year of high school. And I graduated mm-hmm. from college in 2005. So that was sort of like my age group. So, but by the time that I got to college, there was more like people liked the show and it was really like, are you a Carrie? Are you a Charlotte? Are you a Miranda? Whatever. Um, you had the guys that you were rooting for. I have this distinct memory of being home from college and when Mikhail Barishnikov was on uh-huh. um, Sex in the City saying something when I was at home, like God, Mikhail Barishnikov is really sexy. And my grandmother, who would have been in her 90s or late 80s <laughs> at that time, was like, I know. So there was this sort of like appreciation and there are great cultural moments of that. I thought Barishnikov was a great addition to that show. It was really smart. But even so, um, the parts that I identified with the most were the female friendships and sort of the characters that developed. And that was the point of the show. So I'll say some good things about the reboot first. The actors are all like famous actors. So they are beautiful people. And for the most part, they look like women their age of the main cast, which that alone is really um, feels important and good. Like to see women whose faces have aged, whose hair has grayed, like all of this stuff who are living real lives. Carrie is by far the best character. I think she's probably also the best actor. And there's a real tragedy in the first episode when her husband dies, which I'm sure some people saw coming. I sort of didn't. And I was very sad about it. <laughs> like I actually cried. I kind of couldn't believe Wait. I never, I was an Aiden fan, not a Mr. Big fan, but. No, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, I definitely have to pee. Well, uh, I'll, I'll call the nurse. Oh, no, I don't think I can wait. I am, I am really feeling that entire bucket of ice chips I just wolfed down. Um, yeah, I can't wait. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, well, is there a, uh, like a bedpan? How dare you? <laughs> just. Just lift me up. I've done it with the nurses. I can do it with you, too. Does this hurt? Nope. I feel nothing. You know, that whole pain pill addiction thing? Yeah. I totally get it. (laughs) Now, some other things that are not great about it. Obviously, one of the huge problems of Sex and the City was that it was so white. And they have addressed that issue in the reboot by just introducing characters of color as new friends. Accessory friends. (laughs) So every person in this group makes a new friend. And that friend happens to be a person of color. And that feels like BS. Like it's weird. They're not really integrated into the primary friend group. It just feels really hokey. Well, don't you think that was also that they couldn't they were not going to replace Kim Cattrall. They weren't going to replace Samantha because that would have been the obvious place. But then if they, you know, yeah, it, it, that's a, that feels like a trap. Like, but also like, what are the odds that all of you make new friends in the same week for the first time in 30 years? And they're all women of color. Well, why couldn't they have had friends they've had for a while who were women of color? Why do they all have to be new friends? Well, I don't right? know. Like, in the show, they're all new friends. So I that's know. weird. So to me, that the cringy parts of this show feel true to the real show. But to me, the most interesting part of this reboot, and then I'll stop my just like talking and talking about Sex and the City, is um, the original show was so aspirational. 
it was so, you know, like fabulous was the catch line. There are these women who are just throwing money around and sleeping with whomever they want with very little consequence, emotionally or physically. And when you catch up with them now in your in their 50s, you find women who are struggling in midlife. Like they're not, they're trying to understand their relevance. They're trying to understand their mortality. They're grappling with what change looks like and what that means and um, how to grow. And when your city is changing and your relationships are changing and you're not the it person anymore. I mean, some of it is, I think what I'm interested to discover when I watch is about the cringe nature of it. Cause some of the, you know, it was more though in the original, yeah, sure. There was parts that were cringy, but it was, they were still the hippest in the no people. And yes, they could be surprised by things, but sure. You know, that's fine. Here are the moments where they seem out of touch or not, not knowing exactly what's happening. I'm a little worried that that will seem a little too in the mirror because I, I often fancy myself as someone who knows what the kids are talking about and, and, you know, I work with young people, you know, they keep me young. Right. But there are, I am having those moments nowadays where it's like, do I really care to figure mm-hmm. out Snapchat? <laughs> do I really uh-huh. give two rips to figure out that out for myself? And I, maybe I'm a little worried to see myself uh, in the mirror. Cause I was even the original show. They were older than me. They are older than me, but I still remember gathering at a bar and Adams Morgan here in Washington, DC to watch the final episode with like a whole bar full of people who were all very glamorous and drinking cosmopolitans. Yeah. Yuck. I do not want to drink <laughs> cosmopolitan. Thank you very much. I sort of don't fit into this show sometimes. I, I don't know how to roll with it. I don't know. And by the way, aren't we a little bit of a Sex in the City reboot here? Are we? We went to seminary, and then, I mean, I lost touch for a few years, and I think we're doing great. That's right. We are. Yeah. Liz, are you Charlotte? Am I what? Are oh, you a God, Charlotte? No. Oh, are we going to do this, Ricardo? I don't know who you tell me. <laughs> I don't think here's some here's some things. I'm I I don't identify with any of them. I don't I don't think I'm prissy enough to be Charlotte, and I'm not as motivated by like conventional um oh yeah things. <laughs> I guess I feel like I might be more of a Carrie, but I might. Be- <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh because she's the are, most talented be. actress on the show sarah jessica Parker. she's Got the most eloquent Got it. um so when i i didn't get to watch sex in the city initially because i didn't have hbo but i was living in san francisco and all the gay men were watching it and the big thing back then was oh it's just it's just basically four gay men in new york city which wasn't fair because it was written by a woman right candace bushnell wasn't that originally the, the book. author yeah, the of book. the, the book? Yeah, it was. Is it Darren Starr? Is it Darren Starr. Mike, I don't yeah, know. right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So, um, but the, the whole thing with my gay friends was, oh, it's, it's basically four gay men as women going out and having sex with all these men and wearing fabulous clothes and being fabulous and neurotic. Um, which I don't know. I actually liked it for what it was when I did finally watch it. I watched it all. I sort of binged it like in 2010 or something. I, I liked it. I found it really kind of moving, but 
I don't, I don't, I don't know that I want to watch this reboot. It, it feels a little sad. It, the thing you're talking about with the four friends of color, or I don't know if there's three or what, but that just feels so forced from how you describe it that I don't think I could stomach it. It is weird. I would have uh-huh. labeled you our Samantha, Ricardo. <laughs> say. That was I really, wish. I mean, Boy, I wish. The, you, your 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 bodiness, it kind of it, it you know the amount of editing Greg has to do on you on the show. <laughs> you really put it out there. You really I put mean, it out there. You do. I think I think that that was where I was going to go with you, but you know maybe that's aspirational. I don't know. <laughs> yes, like uh, like Liz and Carrie, I aspire to Samantha, but I'm really Miranda. My favorite part of the show, I think, other than you know uh, Samantha's trysts was uh when they would gather for breakfast or coffee or whatever and just that feeling you're in new york city you're in a diner or a restaurant and you're having brunch and there's nowhere kind of better to be than with your Mm -hmm. three friends having your struggles but you're in it together and there's this yummy food that i don't know and it's manhattan uh that I, i i sort of aspire to that still in my life somehow maybe we could all go to Manhattan someday. Remember oh. when you and I went to New York, Ricardo, to see <laughs> oh my Bruce God. Springsteen on Broadway? Yeah. I don't know yeah. if you've ever told you guys that story. Uh, no. Yeah, I don't know. And he cried <laughs> on cue. I, I, have, I have some slight oh. memories of that story. <laughs> on that note. Well, that's another episode of Popping Collars. Thank you for listening. And thank you to Ricardo and Betsy and Greg for joining me on this exploration of the reboot. Send us a message with your favorite reboot or your um, the reboot you love to hate. You can find us on the internet at uh, poppingcollarspodcast.com. Um, you can also find our podcast any place where you listen to podcasts. Um, really all of them were there and, um, please subscribe and rate and review. And finally, you can always find us among our podcasting friends at the Episcopal cafe, episcopalcafe.com. We love them for all of our meeting, all of our Episcopal news and opinion needs <laughs> of which there are many, we know you will too. So please check out Episcopal cafe. And in the meantime, Keep those collars popped. Pop, pop. Great job, Liz. Thanks. Nice. Really good. Outro. Thanks. Thanks, guys. (laughs) Wow. I'm getting so much love and affirmation. I'm going to grab my phone. (laughs) That was the best outro ever. I don't know that we've ever had a better one. Oh, my God. Guys. (laughs) Sipping on this.